Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Minute, we're let's face it, we're hooked on Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick and I'm Julia, and today we're talking about minute 80. 80 that's a hard one to say. Anyway, it begins with a pair of raiders advancing on the tanker with a grappling hook, and it ends with Bear Claw Mohawk hanging from the side of the tanker. Happy Friday, Julia. Happy Friday. Wait, that's Bear Claw Mohawk on the tanker? Yeah, oh. Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah, there's we'll get there. a very specific thing about him that I will point out when we get to him that you can tell that it's him. It's one of those things I noticed. But okay. uh, it's Friday. It's our guest day. And we have another very special guest joining us today. Frequent contributor to the Indiana Jones Minute. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it's Professor Christy Porter. Hi, guys. So glad Hello. to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and what's a bear claw mohawk? Oh, Bear Claw Mohawk is probably one of the most fabulous raiders in the Lord Humongous's horde, and he gets some pretty awesome moves in today's minute. So we'll be talking about him for sure. But for now, I want to talk about you. Now, you are the, I want to say, if memory serves, older sibling to prior guest of the show and Indiana Jones Minute host, Jerry Porter. That is absolutely true. Older sibling, but not by too much. Yeah, and I'm delighted to be here. When Jerry was on, he said that his older sisters were the driving force in the house that I wouldn't say forced everyone to watch The Road Warrior, but definitely... Well, you you didn't have to force anybody to watch this, so it would play over and over and over again (laughs) on Showtime, and we would always be there. We would be there at the beginning. If it was, you know, 30 minutes in, we'd sit down and watch it till the end. When Showtime and the other pay-per-views showed up at this time in the early 80s, of course, you could watch things over and over and over again. We had Showtime and we watched it over and over again. And I don't know that we had to hold Jerry's feet to the fire to watch it. I mean, this is an (laughs) awesome movie. 1981 was full of awesome movies, but this was the awesomest. No, wait, I take that back. Sorry. This was one of the most awesome. This is uh, this was awesome. Hmm. Backing away slowly. You don't want to step on another show's toes? Well, no, actually, I looked up the 1981 movies, and there are actually a lot of awesome movies. We can talk about that later if you want. (laughs) Because Raiders of the Lost Ark also came out in 1981, so... Well, it did. (laughs) I'm sure you didn't want to cause any family strife. (laughs) No, no family strife either. No, no, that's right. Also, Time Bandits, which is a horrible movie. Sorry, Time Bandits, but it is. <laughs> it's, it's really scary. So no, not that one. But Raiders, yes. So what drew you to The Road Warrior? Mel Gibson. Okay. <laughs> well, that was an easy question What to kind answer? of a question is it? It was either Mel Gibson or the Bear Claw Mohawk. No, I'm not. <laughs> so, a little, little of each. A little from column A, a little from column B. He was just so young and... You know, dreamy. He's dreamy. So you watched a lot of The Road Warrior. What keeps you busy these days? Living the dream in Virginia, teaching at William & Mary, hanging out with the kids and the fam and the dog, and guest podcasting. I'm the special (laughs) guest star, you know, like Heather Locklear in 90210. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) 
If you don't mind me asking, what are you a professor of? Psychology and neuroscience. Oh, that's kind of cool. It is. Everybody's got something to say about psychology and neuroscience. In a movie like Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, there's quite a few um, interesting characters (laughs) that I'm sure are just ripe with analysis. There are a lot of interesting characters ripe for analysis. Maybe we can analyze a few. That would make Julia very happy. Yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun to me. (laughs) Well, good. We'll do that then. Yeah, we'll have to bounce back to that after we're done covering the minute because we have a job to do. The metaphorical train has left the station, even though I really should be holding off on the train metaphors until Thunderdome, but I digress. Because we're talking about Minute 80, which, like I said, begins with some raiders advancing on the tanker with a grappling hook. And this buggy that we start off this minute watching actually has some fun trivia behind it. I went on MadMaxMovies.com to their trivia page, and it turns out that the buggy that these two raiders are driving is the same exact vehicle that David Downer and Kathleen McKay were using in the initial compound escape scene where the scouts went out. No kidding. The car that we saw the tire get ripped off and the thing started rolling and then yeah, that whole scene happened. That was this vehicle. Oh, which was, had been captured. Right. And right. stripped clean. And stripped clean. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's a grim scene too. So the buggy comes back in another life and it's actually the bad guy's buggy now. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's Ooh. nice that at least something out of that scene got second life elsewhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bad guy buggy. All right, sure. Yeah, that's a very silver lining way to look at it. It was quite optimistic of you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was a rough week when we were talking about that scene. That, that was, was a, That was week. heavy. I had to do content warnings and everything. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another fun thing about this buggy, and this is something we mentioned yesterday, This is technically the second time that we've seen it swerve from the side of the road into the center of the road, because yesterday, when Wes had torn the door off of the Mack truck, in the background was this buggy moving into position. So for eagle-eyed viewers, people that are maybe not watching the movie for enjoyment and are being really scrutinizing of it, you can see that there's a bit of a repeating action, a little bit of deja vu, so we know there's a glitch in the Matrix. So it's the same scene? It's the same angle? Pretty much. Just the buggy moves in the background after Wes tears the door off, and then it moves again oh. here, except here it's in focus, so oh, we can actually focus in on it. But while the buggy is moving into position, Zeta, he is taking his eyes off of the road. We see him, and he has this empty crossbow, and he turns to reload it. And I don't want to disparage Zeta, because I feel like I've been very positive about him in the past, and I don't want to start talking down about him, but... Oh, I do. Oh, oh He has not had a good track record so far in this sequence. N- no. Did we see him shoot the crossbow? Nope. So was he... Back there with an unloaded weapon. Either he had an unloaded weapon or he fired that crossbow to zero effect, similar to him throwing that Molotov to zero effect. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. In my notes, I know that him having to load that crossbow cost him his life. Yeah. Oh, I I didn't I didn't put that together at all. What? Because he stopped to reload it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He did that thing that we were talking about a while back where he had something in front of him that he needed to focus on, and he turned away. Oh, no. Like when Papagallo turned away on the flamethrower and got shot in the leg, or oh, in yeah. the first movie where Toe Cutter 
turned away and then got run over by a truck. Zeta had a lot of raiders to focus on and he turned away to mess with that crossbow and out of nowhere, grappling hook. <laughs> out of nowhere, grappling hook. <laughs> well, oh my goodness. Okay, so that's a lesson for you kids out there, I guess, to not mm. turn away. But what was the guy supposed to do? If he had been paying attention and with it, with a loaded weapon, then he could have shot the person who was throwing the grappling hook. Mm -hmm. That was my thought, too. You know, that would have worked better. Yeah. All we see of him is an empty crossbow that he has to reload, which means that, A, it was loaded at one point, B, he fired it, and C, nothing came of it because we didn't see anyone get shot by an arrow. It wasn't important enough to to show oh jeez, what he should have done and i know slippery slope that phrase playing the what if game but if he had just waited a little while to fire that bolt that raider who's swinging this grappling hook around is a wide open target i suppose that's right <laughs> yeah he really is when they are so few against so many they really need to make sure that every one of their actions does maximum damage they don't have the luxury of losing one of the good guys for every bad guy. Mm -hmm. That's a bad ratio for them. But this actually brings up a question that I have sort of throughout this movie, and that is how are they supposed to get all of those weapons back? They look pretty formal as opposed to primitive. So once you shoot your arrow, how are you supposed to get that back, right? Yeah, you're not. There is a fun production detail that we're not actually going to see until Monday, but I'll mention it here. Oh boy. For some shots where arrows are flying and they need to stick somewhere specific, mm -hmm. the arrows are on strings. I thought I saw that. Yeah. If you look at the end of the arrow, sometimes they're hollow, which means they just thread that string through the arrow itself and then just probably slingshot it across the string. So in universe, it very much could be that all of their arrows are on strings and they just have to gather up the strings and reel them back in like a fishing line. I I'm not sure I want those arrows back once they've been through somebody's yeah. heart and all that. All bloody and gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I don't really know much about weaponry of this type, but would that work? If the arrows were on strings, could you shoot it at somebody, do damage to that person, and then pull the arrow back and shoot it again? I don't see why not. Okay. It's one of those things where as long as the string is not pulling on the arrow enough to halt the arrow's forward momentum. Right. It's got plenty of slack. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a problem, I guess, because physics. Think of it like a fishing line. You can turn a fishing reel and bring that lure back and then unlock the spool and cast your line and it'll just let out and reel in time after time after time. Yeah. And if you attach a fishing line to a crossbow, you could potentially tie off that arrow to the fishing line and then just reel it on back in. <laughs> Do you suppose the bad guys have lines on their arrows too? Well, it kind of seems like the smart way to go if you're doing a high-speed chase like this where you can't get your ammunition back mm -hmm. and they don't have unlimited ammunition. No, that's right. So... It seems kind of like the smart thing on both sides. Yes, I would agree. I have a feeling that there's quite a bit of trading back and forth <laughs> when it comes to arrows. So you need like the universal standard size arrow. So good guys can use them. Bad guys can use them. Yeah. That's the real trick. If you want to be a devious raider, you make sure that all of your arrows are very specifically fashioned so that other people can't use them and only your weapons work. See, that's the kind of thinking that is needed in the wasteland. 
No, that's good. That I don't think the Humongouses Horde have that idea. <laughs> devious and clever. Yes, devious and clever. That's what they're lacking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. The only thing that they have on any sort of lead are these giant metal hooks that they are just swinging around. And the cool thing about these grappling hooks is that we saw one yesterday. We're seeing one today. And mm-hmm. in both instances, they're going to prove very effective. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there watching this minute, watching them swing these hooks around. And I thought, why are they swinging them around? What's the point? Why don't they just throw them like you would a tomahawk or a throwing axe or something like that? And the reason they're swinging around has to do with Newton's laws of motion. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the first law of motion is that... An object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will stay in motion unless it's acted upon by another force. And then the second law is that force is equal to the mass of something times how fast it's moving. So you've got a hook on the end of a chain. Let's ballpark it and say that that hook weighs three kilograms or a little over six pounds. So picture a workout weight, a little dumbbell that weighs five, six pounds on the end of a chain, and you're swinging that around. So that chain is holding that weight in place. That weight wants to fly off in a straight line because you've got some force acting on it, but the chain is pulling it back in. So you've got these two forces, centripetal force pulling that weight in towards the center point where your hand is, and the tangential force, which is the force that makes that weight want to fly off in the current trajectory that it's facing. And so you can take that weight and you can get it moving really fast. And the faster you get it spinning and the wider arc that you can get it to spin, the faster, the more force you can get behind that eventual release. So because I can take this movie and slow it down to frame by frame, I had some numbers to crunch. Oh, that's awesome. So I estimated three kilogram hook. I was looking at the approximate distance that Raider was swinging it in. I'd say about a one meter diameter at a rate of 4.75 meters per second total speed. When he let go of that hook, according to my calculations, that hook had 14.2 newtons of tangential force. Now, fun fact, that is the same amount of force that a professional American baseball player puts into a 148 gram baseball that can travel about 95 miles per hour or 152 kilometers per hour. Yeah, that's a lot of force. That's a lot of force. And, you know, you should have prefaced with, and what does this grappling hook have to do with, you know, (laughs) home runs and baseball? Because I (laughs) simply would not have known. Now I know. That's pretty cool. Now I just said... A professional baseball player can throw a ball with that much force and have it go that fast. The ball is less than one kilogram. The hook is, mm, I'd say, 30 times heavier than a baseball. Mm-hmm. 0.14 kilograms versus three <laughs> kilograms. If the Raider took the hook and threw it like an axe, mm-hmm. the weight would throw off the formula. The hook would not have enough acceleration to make that force great enough for it to travel the distance required. Oh, yeah. And so that's why Wes was swinging the hook over his head. He was swinging it horizontal because he was throwing it on a flat plane. Okay. 
And with those hooks, wherever you let go, it's going to travel perpendicular to the chain. So Wes was swinging it horizontally because it was going to travel horizontally, and this raider was swinging it vertically because the hook needed to travel up and over the rear fortification on that tanker. Wow. Okay. All right. I suppose he had done all of those calculations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's how that works. And he had probably tried it with 30 baseballs, and it just didn't work nearly as well. <laughs> I wouldn't say that any of the Raiders have degrees in theoretical physics, but I'm pretty sure they have theoretical degrees in physics. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I buy that. Sure. Uh, okay. I suppose they must practice this sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. Practice throwing a grappling hook. They probably have a lot of time on their hands to do that, right? Right. I kind of see it like the Highland Games, where <laughs> the... Highlanders and the Scotsmen, they weren't necessarily allowed to train with actual weapons, and so they just found whatever, and so they made throwing competitions about it. So if you get really practiced at throwing things, you can take a tree and throw it across a yard and have it flip over and things like that. <laughs> I had no idea that they were not allowed to train with real weapons, and that's what gave us the Highland Games. I'm learning a ton over here. Okay, we learned that <laughs> from Braveheart. Another Mel Gibson movie. <gasps> oh, yep. I love that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because Mel Gibson. Hmm. Yep. Yes. Julia also comes from a line of McDonald's, so that kind of helps too. Yep. <laughs> I come from a line of McClouds. Ah. So there you oh, go. So the Highlander. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if I know that, but all right. Sure. If you haven't watched Highlander with Sean Connery and... What's the French guy oh, no. I'm forgetting? Yeah. Crud. What is his name? Not Outlander, but Highlander. Yes. Yeah. The Highlander. Because Outlander was actually... That movie's from like the 80s, right? Yeah. Christopher Lambert. I did not That's know the that. guy who I was forgetting. Yeah. The French guy that they hired to play a Scotsman. Yes. Strangely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had completely forgotten about that movie. Good show. Yeah. His name, his last name, the character's last name is... Is McLeod. McLeod, yeah. One of the things I noticed, I did not know all that about physics, so now I do. But one of the things I noticed when the grappling hook gets onto the rig is that Zeta gets trapped in it, just like Hooper gets trapped in the rope in Jaws when Jaws starts pulling the barrel. That's right. Yeah, crossover, podcast crossover right there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> So apparently getting stuck in lines at the back of a moving vehicle spells trouble. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. And it's just such rotten luck for Zeta. He, <laughs> it is. He was having such a high note the other day when the mechanic threw that Molotov on the car that was chasing them. Mm -hmm. And they were so happy. They felt so accomplished. And now he turns his face for just one moment. All of a sudden he's getting pinned up against that fortification. And it's... Yeah. Not working well, especially when that buggy decides to turn its wheel. And I guess they secured the line too high up on the buggy because the thing just starts to roll. Yep. Yep. Sure does. Well, this particular buggy was built to roll, so it does what it does. <laughs> but it doesn't turn out so well. I feel like there were one of two results they wanted to come from this action either they wanted to pull off that back fortification or they wanted to slow down the tanker and if they wanted to pull off the back fortification congratulations they did it yeah they sure did if they wanted to use that car to slow down the tanker you know create some pull on the back there something that is done much more effectively 
in Fury Road, by the way. We keep going back to Fury Road on how it does certain details better, but that's... We'll save for that another for, time. For, right, for right, another right. time. Another season. Yeah, and technically, as the buggy is rolling down the highway and stuff is falling off of it and it's just getting thrashed around, yes, it is technically slowing down the tanker a tiny bit, but probably not as much as they were hoping it would. During this time, we don't really check in on Max. Uh, I don't think we check in on him again until Monday. There's a quick shot of him in this minute. Okay. But it's basically him behind the wheel and then the camera shakes. Right. Yeah. So does he really even notice this is happening? <laughs> Probably Maybe not. not so much. On the grand scheme of things, that platform getting pulled off, hmm? Yeah, not that big a deal. If anything, it makes the tanker go faster. Probably. <laughs> it reminds me of the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, where UFOs have sent the people plans to build a spaceship. And the people, NASA, building the spaceship, insist on putting a seat in, even though the seat is not in the plans. So when Jodie Foster gets in it and they start running the thing, it's shaking violently and it's getting worse and worse and worse until the chair from the vibration snaps off and it's just floating free in the orb spaceship and then everything calms down. Mm -hmm. I kind of imagine the same thing. Once that trailer snaps off the back, the tanker kind of returns to normal. I remember that scene because she's sitting there in this chair and she's getting... She's getting shaken up and her voice is all shaky and then something falls out of her pocket and it's a watch and it's just floating in space in front of her face and she's like, huh, <laughs> that's an interesting detail. <laughs> well, and did she, because I saw the movie, but I can't remember, did she actually say, listen, I don't think we should have a chair? Yes, she yeah. fought against the chair. Saying Sounds it's not like something plans, Jody would do. do it. Yeah. Yes. She'd be like, no, make it right, people. Yeah. Aliens say no chair, no chair. Well, all right. So I didn't think about how the truck would drive with or without the back of it or a buggy attached to it. Good point. But I remember that we have one shot of Max because you know how the music keeps going in and out in this particular minute? Well, all throughout the movie. Yeah. Yes. But in this particular movie, we get strings again. Mm. So music comes up, music is notable, and then it goes away, and then it's completely just vehicle noise and so forth. But when we see... Max, we get strings again. Uh, notable strings, as a matter of fact. Mm. But then that's like just that one second, and then we're back at Zeta, and he falls, and then there's no music, and then strings start up again. Yeah. And timpani. Zeta really gets an unfortunate end. We get this shot of him flailing and flying forward, and then the back platform falls off. Obviously, he's now a ragdoll. But not only does the platform fall off and he ragdolls down into it, but then all of his Molotovs explode. And so it's just this flaming pile of metal. Yeah. Sometimes in movies, things explode when there really is no reason for them to explode. (laughs) They just want to have an explosion because viewers like explosions. They're fun. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, there's a definite practical reason why Zeta and all the stuff with him explodes. Absolutely. Because he had a supply of Molotov cocktails. Yep. He had a mini bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a mini bar. Mini bar that explodes. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. They really thought that through. In the shot where the buggy is rolling and getting trashed and things are falling out of it, if my memory serves right, when we were watching the audio commentary from the Blu-ray, Dean Semler was talking about how he was in the chase vehicle behind this buggy as it was rolling. And of course, there's boxes and bags and blankets falling off. And he knew that he had at least one stuntman 
in that buggy driving it before it started rolling and then beside that stuntman was a mannequin as the things were falling off dean semler was sitting there behind the camera worried that the things that he was seeing fall off were his stuntman well oh my gosh <laughs> oh that's not good that is not at all good. And at the Jeez. end of the day, the stuntman was okay. This is one of those instances oh where a gosh. bone wasn't broken. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, the whole thing is just so nuts in terms of filming, you know, and, and the stunts and the, the drivers that had to, and how good they had to be at, oh, I don't know, staying alive during these scenes. Mm -hmm. Right. It's really something. Some imagery that I wanted to mention that I really enjoyed. In this minute, we get the buggy that's connected to the tanker by the grappling hook, and it's just rolling out of control. Very similarly to yesterday's minute, or perhaps a minute before, I can't quite remember how long ago it was. Anyways, when Wes threw the hook into the door, pulled the door off. Mm -hmm. If you look behind him just after that, the door is doing the same thing. It's still attached to the hook, just skipping along the ground, bouncing around wildly. <laughs> uh, so I, I really liked that symmetry of the grappling hook and its results. That's a nice metaphor for life. Sometimes you're the door, sometimes <laughs> you're the buggy. <laughs> you're never the grappling hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had something on symmetry here, too. I don't think that was the symmetry that I had noted, though. Mm -hmm. It's actually the beginning of, I think it's the beginning of the minute, where we have two red cars. We're right down the middle, and the two red cars are making lovely, lovely symmetrical scene. Maybe that was the last minute. Yes, I noticed that, too. It was really nice. So now we've got side-by-side -side symmetry for that, and we've got door in uh, 79 bumbling along, and we've got buggy bumbling along. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got all sorts of symmetry going on. Lovely. One thing that really confused me, because I, I don't know, sometimes I just don't read faces very well. But after we see Zeta torn off of the back of the tanker, we get a shot of the mechanic yeah. staring out at the road. <laughs> yep. Oh, I love this. His expression perplexes me because his friend just died and he's looking out at the road with very little emotion on his face. I think he's surprised. I think things turned around really fast for the two of them. They were just celebrating mm -hmm. because one of them was able to take out a car with a Molotov cocktail. And then like a split second later, Zed is dead. Yep. It just, it happened so fast. Yep. And he watched the whole thing happen from up above, not being able to do anything. Yeah. He almost seems dumbstruck. Yeah. I like that. Dumbstruck. So here's a question for you then. So what sort of reaction is he supposed to have? Because death is all around these people all the time. And I think that they don't really react appropriately. Um, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. They don't really <laughs> react appropriately. So I'm not really sure what I would expect from the mechanic. I mean, there's so much death. What I was expecting was some sort of, I don't know, maybe an angry shout of, No, Zeta, say it ain't so, or... Oh, I'm going to get you, Raiders. Ah, now I'm <laughs> Your angry. Your little dog, too. Well, <laughs> well they, they never actually react appropriately. None of them. Hmm. Until next minute. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for us taking how the mechanic reacts to Zeta's death to how the mechanic reacts on Monday. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't want to spoil it, even though we've all seen the movie. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> One of the things I like about Mechanic in that scene, though, is, boy, he's got his shiny earrings. I love his shiny earrings in this. I think he's got a very, very spiffy outfit, and the light reflects just so off his earrings. Mm -hmm. 
that would have been uh, pretty exotic in 1981. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a great outfit. Is it like black? Is it studded? Yep. It's black studded leather. Yeah, yep. that's pretty spectacular. Yeah, yeah. He's accessorized beautifully. Yeah. Right there. I wonder if he made it himself because he had open access to tools. True. But it's not like he had free time. Right. I mean, He's a skilled mechanic truck, yeah. in the compound mm -hmm. would be kept pretty busy, I would think. But he's pretty bedazzled, so maybe one of the things hmm. he has is the Romco Bedazzler. I don't know if you remember that <laughs> at all. Oh, oh yes. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Appropriate reaction or not, the mechanic turns from looking behind the tanker back to his supplies. He grabs a burning stick and he lights up another Molotov. And while he's down there working, we see a motorcycle approaching the tanker from behind. Mm -hmm. On the sidecar of that motorcycle is Bearclaw Mohawk. Mm -hmm. And he has a crossbow that he is aiming up towards the top of the tanker because he knows that the mechanic is going to pop out of there very soon. So the mechanic does just that. He pops up, he's got a Molotov in his hand, and Bearclaw Mohawk uses that opportunity to shoot the mechanic in, I would say, the upper arm, somewhere around there. Yep. And of course, the mechanic, because he just got shot in the arm, drops the Molotov right on his legs. Okay, starting here and continuing into Monday's Minute, it's like a scene from The Three Stooges. Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't think that's just, what they were going for. <laughs> I don't think so either. Just one goofiness leads to another, leads to another, and oops, I'm on fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Why do you think they did that? Oh, why would they do that? Is it an error? They shouldn't have done it? Well, I think he wasn't supposed to be on the truck. Hmm. Right. He was supposed to be in the bus with the rest of the civilians. Oh. But he refused to go on that lousy bus. Mm -hmm. He wanted to stay with the truck that he had worked so hard for. Mm -hmm. I think he also found it degrading to be considered a civilian that needs to be protected rather than a fighter who's going to go out and protect the helpless. Got it. He didn't want to be helpless. He wanted to be a fighter. So he forced his way onto that truck. Mm -hmm. So perhaps... George Miller is driving home the point that he shouldn't have been there. Oh, he does some good, doesn't he? He took out one car and that's it. Although that's more than what Zeta did. Yeah. Although Zeta did kind of take out that buggy. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did take out the buggy. <laughs> so Zeta took out one car. The mechanic took out one car. But again, that's not a good ratio. Mm -mm. No, that's right. That's right. Does Zeta have shoulder pads? I don't think he does. Zeta had football pads. Oh, he did. He doesn't quite have the power shoulders that the mechanic has. I think he had just the regular sporting surplus store pads that a lot of other people wear. Okay, because I thought that the people who were sent on the bus were the people without the shoulder pads. And the people on the rig, except for Max and the feral child, are the ones with the shoulder pads because shoulder pads being, you know, symbolic for protection and for safety and for security, they were like security detail. Mm. And then I was wondering why Warrior Woman had shoulder pads too. And of course, because she's acting like security detail, but Mechanic does not have them. So that explains why he doesn't have them. He wasn't supposed to be there. He was supposed to be on the bus with the non-shoulder pad people. Mm. Yes. That also explains why his armor is so new and shiny. Yes. He yes, hasn't been wearing it for, I don't know, weeks, maybe months that Warrior Woman and Zeta have been wearing theirs. Mm -hmm. He maybe made it quite recently. I feel like he, with the help of the mechanic's assistant, took out that one raider during the compound attack when the raiders got inside. 
Remember the mechanic's assistant ran one way and the mechanic swung around on his gimbal and knocked into that one raider. Yeah, yeah. I yes. think he got a bit of a big head after that and said, oh, I can be an effective fighter. <laughs> wow. I want to go with the rig. And now his legs are on fire. And now his <laughs> legs are on fire. Also his hands. Wow. Okay. And I don't think being paralyzed from the waist down makes him unqualified. I think what makes him unqualified is that he's not a skilled fighter. He doesn't have any experience, even taking turns up on the turret defending the compound. Yeah, his talents are constructive in nature, not destructive. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I mean, this instance of him, I don't want to say standing up to throw the Molotov, but he kind of half lifts and twists his body into a higher position. Like... He's exposing himself to people like Bearclaw Mohawk to shoot him with a crossbow. Mm-hmm. And it's that type of thing that is kind of amateurish. Yeah. Taking yourself out of cover that way. Right. On the other hand, some people have to be on the rig. And I don't think his particular level of mobility changed how successful he was on that mm. truck. Because actually he moved around, he seemed pretty good at it. And to be able to reach everything that he needed to reach and to be where he needed to be, that was not an issue. Mm -hmm. And he does not have crossbow, right? No, he only has the Molotovs. Yeah. See, if he had had a crossbow, that also would have been helpful. Except that he probably hasn't trained on it. Exactly. Because he's not a shoulder pad guy. Would he really know how to use it? Yeah, I don't know. You know who has a surprising amount of crossbows? The warrior woman. Yes, she does. Yes, she next. does. <laughs> she is crouched up at the top of the tanker and mm -hmm. she's got this one compound bow and as she's sitting up there she looks over at the mechanic and he's just sitting there patting his legs trying to snuff out the flames and like it's no big deal <laughs> yeah she's just i can only imagine what's going through her head she is trying to keep an eye on either side of the tanker because that's her position that she's keeping an eye on things mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she looks across the tanker sees one guy on fire, one guy's completely gone, although yeah. she's at a bad angle to see that. And it's like, she turns away for one second and everything just goes up in smoke. See, don't turn away. I yep. think that's a really important lesson. Don't turn <laughs> away. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Virginia is obviously concerned for the mechanic. And so she puts her compound bow up on the fortification and then grabs a couple of crossbows. Do you think her intention was to deliver one of those crossbows to the mechanic? Oh. Do you think that's why she took two? That could work. I think she just wanted to be armed. Okay. She brought two, one as an extra. Okay. So that way she could fire multiple times. Yeah. Okay. She has tremendous balance, I have to say. I mean, wow. Absolutely. I don't know how she's doing it, frankly. Because this tanker is speeding down the highway mm -hmm. and she is walking along this very narrow mm -hmm. top path that doesn't have hand railings. No. So that's kind no. of dangerous. No safety considerations. And speaking of Newton's laws, you know, if she is shooting things forward, she should be moving backwards. You know, she needs really <laughs> good base for that. Well, she's doing fine. And speaking of shooting, as she's moving forward, Bearclaw Mohawk, who is climbing up the side of the tanker after getting dropped off by the motorcycle, he pulls himself up and there's Virginia right there. And she takes one of those crossbows. She just points it down at him and goes pop right in his shoulder and he yep. gets arrowed. Yep. And he almost falls off. Yep except that his bear claw gauntlet catches on some sort of structure that's hmm. holding up the barbed wire along the truck, and he's hanging there by his bear claw gauntlet. Wow. An arrow in one shoulder, 
nothing underneath him because that motorcycle that was carrying him drove off. Yeah. Uh, have we crossed into minute 81? I think I stopped and started my notes in the wrong place. All these notes of mine are in minute 81. You know what? I think Virginia shooting Bear Claw Mohawk is technically in 81. I was just misreading my notes because technically the last thing we see in minute 80 is him climbing from the motorcycle onto the tanker. Oh, okay. So (laughs) So confused. Julia, you were right. I was wrong. Okay. It's fine. Not the first time. Won't be the last. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We don't have to be so specific. And now I know who you mean, Bearclaw Mohawk. Got it. I am a little embarrassed that I did not know that that was Bearclaw Mohawk because I went back and looked at the minute real quick. And of course it is. You can see his gray mohawk like plain and clear. And he's the only one that we know of that has a silver gray mohawk. It's true, but I don't remember actually seeing him a whole lot. I think this is actually his big scene. This is his big scene. Yeah. We see him a very little bit. Like he pops up here and there previously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but this is his moment yeah. to shine. Mm-hmm. And then he gets caught in the rig because of his bear claws. Kind of sad. It's a hazard. As we're going to rediscuss on Monday because we're going to forget everything we talked about <laughs> over the weekend, <laughs> as is always the case, that bear claw is what saves him. Like if he didn't get caught on the mm-hmm. rig that way, he would have fallen onto the pavement and got sucked under the tires. Oh, ah. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay, we'll leave that for Monday. I was impressed that he hung on. (laughs) It's like, wow, he didn't fall off the tanker. (laughs) Now that makes a little more sense because he had an armored hand (laughs) to help him. Is that what a bear claw is? Yeah, he has a gauntlet almost Mm -hmm. that is armored and reinforced. That makes more sense than a bear claw, doesn't it? Okay. But it also has actual claws, like actual Uh bone. I don't know if they're bear claws. I think they're just sharpened pieces of metal okay that you come think out so? and there are five of them that stick out of this gauntlet they go up okay. past his hand and then curve forward yeah and they're just sharpened pieces of metal okay are you sure about that oh we'll see them very close up when okay. uh, bear claw mohawk just dis- tries to defenestrate max we hmm. saw them close up he was the one holding humongous's gun case yep oh. we saw them close up and they looked like actual bone really Really, and it was in my notes for that minute, but we just never got to it. Huh. Yeah, I never even considered them to be actual bone, because they always just looked like steel to me. Okay. Bone makes sense for some of the other costume choices here, Mm -hmm. but I don't know where they would actually find a bear. Right. So it could be any kind of clawed animal, I suppose. Yeah, but why bear claw? Why call him bear claw? Yeah. Why not call him puma claw? Kangaroo Kangaroo claw. Kangaroo. I don't know. That's not quite as scary, but okay. It's not. They probably call him bear claw because there are five prongs and bears have five toes with five claws at the end of those toes if but... it was like three prongs <laughs> they could call it like eagle claw that's or something true. like that you right, know but are there any bears in australia well, i'm pretty sure australians are aware of the existence <laughs> of bears right but why would you name yourself after an animal that you couldn't possibly be because they're not native to that area 
well, you know, we've got, like I said, we've got some interesting choices. We've got Wes's choice right there. You know, he's got his little pants and his little windows <laughs> and his pants and he's got a tail. Everybody's got to have an identity here, I guess. And Bearclaw Mohawk certainly has chosen an, an identity for himself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has. And this is his moment to shine, as you said. So I think we inadvertently got to the end of the minute. So <laughs> we did. This is kind of a good opportunity for us to do a quick pivot and talk about the week that was and do our end of the week recap. So we started off this week with the rig literally plowing its way out of the compound, Mm -hmm. getting past the Lord Humongous and his gunshots to lead the horde away from the more civilian aspect of the compound. Right. After that, we saw a handful of raiders, which I had nothing but good things to say about, stop for a moment, <laughs> realize the compound was empty as all of the civilian dwellers were driving away. And so these raiders, enterprising gentlemen that they were, went back to the compound to claim it. Unfortunately for them, it was booby-trapped and the entire thing exploded in probably the most awe-inspiring explosion That's a good one. that I've seen ever. <laughs> Yeah, very satisfying. Mm-hmm. It was so large that the explosion started on Tuesday, ended on Wednesday. <laughs> That's quite an explosion. That explosion on Wednesday was probably the best part of the minute because the rest of that day was pretty much just watching the rig getting chased on the road. They weren't really engaging each other just yet. It was just the two elements coming together. But then yesterday, things really got crazy when Wes got his chains broken Mm -hmm. and he was unleashed Mm -hmm. so he jumped on the snake truck he started swinging that grappling hook around and tore off max's door it was so fun that was a busy minute Mm -hmm. i think that's when this action sequence really became an action sequence things really got going and started getting excited about you know death and destruction (laughs) mayhem Mm -hmm. one thing i do want to ask about though is where's the dog the dog oh, on the bus. No. Dog. The dog is dead. What? The dog was what did shot. I miss? The scene where Max's car blew up. Oh, right. Just okay. before the car blows up, the bad cop that was there yeah. shot the dog. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember now. And actually, we talked about how the dog's death was so low key as opposed to the death of the car that was so explosive. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I remember now. It might be an easy thing to miss. Well, it's misremembering right, right right now. It's not like, oh, well, that actually explains why the week was mayhem, because the dog's yeah. dead. That dog is actually yeah. a talisman. The dog actually is about safety, too. So shoulder pads and dogs. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> Symbols of safety. But without the dog, of course, life is dangerous. I am curious what you think about Wes and his... Psychosis? His, this care... Yes. Wes is kind of hard to pin down. So I know he's described over and over again as psychotic. It's hard to know exactly what might have happened to this human to make him this contemptible and despicable and pure evil. And he really enjoys killing. Mm -hmm. And he is the stuff of nightmares. (laughs) Yeah. And the the thing is, is, he's really overt about it. So we can't call him a sociopath or a psychopath because those words seem to mean things like they're going to be sneaky and manipulative, but not this guy. Mm -hmm. When George Miller 
cast Vernon Wells as Wes, he encouraged him to develop a backstory for the character. And the official story that Vernon likes to share is that Wes was a Vietnam War veteran type, someone who Mm -hmm. had Mm -hmm. seen combat and had been forever affected by it. We have posited that after the war, (laughs) one thing that Wes did in the pre-collapse existence that he had was that he was a either physical education teacher or a gymnastics (laughs) instructor because he has Uh a lot of over-the-top physicality to him, but he also has an affinity for fit young people. Huh. And so I'm wondering if it's a combination of being shaped and twisted by his wartime experiences, but also being physically trained by the occupation that he had when he got home. And that now that society is completely dissolved, all of his darker urges are percolating to the top. Wow. Okay. I had read that about his backstory as well, and I rejected it out of hand. I have to say, it didn't occur to me that he was a phys ed teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were trying to justify why he would do somersaults when he was attacking the quiet man in the compound attack. Yep, I thought about that too. I can't answer that one. The reason I think he's not a Vietnam type vet is because that is too organized. It's too specific or organized of a reason. Like, it's hard for me to believe that he was ever that disciplined or in such a formal system. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's his backstory, so he gets to choose, right? You know, it's not really about me. Right. (laughs) I was thinking, you know, years and years and years of abuse followed by solitary confinement, perhaps. Oh. Which does not explain why he can do flips off of uh, anything and land on his feet. Years of abuse as if he had a parent or guardian person who constantly pushed him Mm -hmm. to be the physical peak. Like maybe he did gymnastics as a child. (laughs) And so that explains his physicality. But he's also been beaten down and verbally and emotionally assaulted as well as physically pushed and trained and whatnot what do you think of that then isolated exactly sort of a you didn't hit your dismount so now you have to hang out in the punishment closet sort of like a carry situation i'm sad yeah (laughs) ding every every bad guy there's the tiniest little twinge of sympathy that you can find for them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i I truly believe that there's always a tiniest bit of sympathy. Not that it ever redeems the bad things that a character does. Have you ever met a character as evil as this guy? Oh, oh that's a thinker. <laughs> didn't, didn't mean to make you think over there. Sorry. Wes is a force of nature. I see him as the berserker type. He's not the chieftain. He's not the shaman. He's the berserker. Mm -hmm. He is the just meat tornado of violence (laughs) that's going to blow through a town and level it. You know, if he were cast in a different movie with a different viewpoint, you could almost see him fighting alongside William Wallace. Oh. For the Scots. That type of thing. Hmm. Wow. And I see it as one of those situations where whoever's holding Wes's leash has a lot of power like humongous yeah in this movie has a lot of power over wes i mean he treats him like an animal yeah sure does calls him his dog and his puppy and all that other stuff yeah and so it's 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 the question of who is more evil the strong violent person or the more calculating 
controlling person. It just so happens in this movie that the calculating controlling person is also huge and strong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And has obviously gone on, undergone some trauma as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what with the mask and all. Yeah, you don't wear a mask like that unless something bad has happened. No, but I seriously can't understand the other parts of his costume. What with the chains <laughs> and the little leather doodads. Yeah, it's quite a statement. It's a statement piece, really. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of Wes being a an abused gymnast child because the feathers that he wears and mm. the flamboyant way that he wears his hair, it kind of reminds me of a figure skater. Oh. Because their outfits can be very outlandish and over the top. And so I'm not saying that figure skaters and gymnasts are the same thing. No, but there is a level of physicality there and a level of dedication that must be present in the training. Mm -hmm. Sure. And there's also figure skaters dress like that because they're putting on a show. Right. Hmm. And Wes, in a sense, is putting on a show. He goes all berserker and is a meat tornado of violence. <laughs> and we love it. As viewers, we love this. We love watching Wes. We know that he's the bad guy. But we like it anyways. And that's accentuated by his chaps and his feathers and his mohawk. They just make him even more enjoyable to watch. He is quite a commanding presence. There's no missing Wes, not only because he's got a lot more scenes and so forth, but he's set up as a centerpiece somehow. I wonder why he's the second banana, though, to Lord Humongous. Why is he able to be controlled? I think because he does act so erratically and illogically maybe emotionally i'm not sure he really has the capability to lead people mm -hmm. hmm. we've posited over the course of this movie that humongous was able to not only assemble the horde but assemble the horde by gathering together different factions you'll notice there's one group of raiders that all dress like they're police officers there's yeah. one group of raiders that's dressed in gray rags Mm -hmm. another group that has mohawks and chaps and everything like that. And we think that Humongous is just so charismatic that he was able to gather up all of these very disparate groups of desperate people and bring them together into one body. And I don't think Wes has that charisma. No. That natural ability to lead. No. But he's useful. Oh, yeah. You point him at something and he will go right through it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And Lord Humongous, as Wes's controller, as the holder of his leash, knew exactly when to free Wes from his chain and point him in the right direction and just let Wes go. Yeah. To great effect. Yeah. Sure did. Sure did. And I wonder what Wes gets out of this because he could do something else. You know, he's dangerous, so he could do something else. But I get the feeling he's exactly where he wants to be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hmm. I think he's happy doing what he's doing. Wes happy. That's, a, that's kind of a funny <laughs> idea. You know, I'm content. I'm generally, you know, feeling feeling well, thanks. And Yeah. Yeah, that's not, that's not the picture that Wes paints. <laughs> I yeah. think Wes was very content before the events of this movie. He was with the Horde. He was rather high up in the echelons because humongous considered him such a valuable dog of war he had the golden youth mm -hmm. he had his motorcycle he yep. had all of this autonomy to go out and scavenge and come back mm -hmm. and ever since he meets max things just start spiraling out of control partly because of wes's own behavior yeah but you start to 
think, okay, I think I understand why Wes is so angry at Max, because Max is the thing that he ran across, and now everything's going hogwild. Right. And I'm not sure any of the bad things that have happened to Wes have been directly Max's fault. Max just happened to be there. Yeah. Right, right. And bad things started happening just coincidentally when Max started being around. So therefore, this is all Max's fault. I must kill Max. Mm -hmm. That makes him sound kind of not human. So maybe this gets to the role of animals and uh, subhuman and monsters and such. Maybe he's not human. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lord Humongous doesn't consider him human. Mm -mm. Maybe he was human. I've, I'm sure that's a... that's. You know, common theme in the, in, well, it is common theme in the movie, but, you know, we were human, we were civilized, and we ain't no more. Huh. Right. I imagine probably everybody in this movie has transformed from who they were before the fall of civilization. Although the pilot actually stays pretty human. You're right, he does. He seems a pretty jolly, optimistic sort. He uses flattery and he says uh, we're partners. You know, he tells Max we had a deal and he's, you know, honor among thieves and <laughs> fights with the dog. You know, it's my snake. <laughs> that guy might be a little bit more civilized and uh, Wes is certainly less. Mm. Well, I think... That pretty much brings us to the end of it, wouldn't you say, Julia? I think so. Well, Christy, it has been a lot of fun oh my gosh, having you I, on I the show. This. You've been a delight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This is a terrifically fun movie, and it's awfully fun to be here. Excellent. So if people want to hear more from you, they can tune into the Indiana Jones Minute. You send little messages to Jerry all the time, or at least that's the myth. That's true. This just in. Beep, 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 beep. So they can listen to them for that because, by golly, if people aren't listening to the Indy Jones Minute after we have recommended so many times. <laughs> and thank you. Just trying to beat it into people. Listen. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of my ranting. We are going to take the weekend off and we will be back on Monday, which is going to be our Holly Jolly Christmas episode with snow and holly and Yule logs, and it's going to be festive and nothing bad is going to happen. No, nothing bad at all ever happens on Christmas. <laughs> the Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 80 of the Road Warrior. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.